Hey, it's Scott Petrak with another episode of the Browns Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. And for the first time, we will discuss a season opening win for the Browns after a thrilling, closer than it needed to be, 26-24 road victory over the Carolina Panthers. Here, as always, to discuss is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. Chud, how are you? Oh my gosh, Scott, what a game. It, it just feels good. First time since 2004, the Browns win a season opener, and it was much longer since they've done it on the road. I have that, you have that year handy. 1994. Here. 94. Like 1994 on the road. So, I mean, you're talking about historic stuff there. Yeah. And I'll just say it, it, it's just great to know that all week long, you can think about tailgating now as a Browns fan and the chance to go 2-0 and instead of that dreaded, oh, if they start 0-2, then they could be 0-3 and, and then this and that. You know the drill. And, yeah. Uh, it feels good. What's crazy about the game is, is that, you know, it, it, it went from feeling like, hey, they should win by a couple touchdowns and you felt really good. Like, you felt like the Browns had it in hand to they might lose this game and you could almost argue they should have lost it. But they should have won by way more. It's just bizarre. And it just shows you Vegas had it as one and a half, two and a half, finally a pick em. It just shows you how Vegas is right on. The two teams were neck and neck. And it ends up a two-point game. And really, let's be honest, either team at the end could have won. You know, a kick gets made and one team wins. And if he misses, the other team wins. Right. And, you know, we both you, – you got you start 1-0, I start 0-1. Um, you know, I don't feel terrible about my pick because I said, Hey, show me, you can do it. And they right. did. And now I have more faith in the Browns and they're one and oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you never bet against Vegas, obviously I don't probably get it right, but they get it right so many times. Um, yeah. My lasting impression chart is, well, first of all, you're right about all that. Second of all, it, it's a reminder, not that we needed it, that the margins are so thin in the NFL, especially if you don't have an elite quarterback, right? Like Patrick Mahomes went in and he played great in the Chiefs rolled Arizona. So that's one way to do it. If you don't have that elite quarterback, it's really hard to blow teams out in this league. It, it just is. Um, but then my other takeaway is the defense played, I thought played really well, except for three plays. But those three plays are big enough to eliminate the cushion that the Browns had built up. Right, they were up twenty three fourteen with six and a half minutes left. The offense, the passing game, the run game was great. The passing game was—I don't know—I was struggling to find the right word. I wrote, I wound up going uninspiring in the story I wrote yesterday. Um, I almost put um, borderline pitiful. The passing game was rough, and a lot of that has to do with Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback, and we'll talk about that. Um, but despite that. It was able to make a couple of big plays on that final drive, right? Jacoby Brissett hit um, Don Peoples-Jones for a 13-yarder, and he was going to get hit off the blind side, stood in and made a big throw. Got Amari Cooper for nine yards to set up the 58-yarder. It was get to the 40, and that nine-yarder got him to the 40. Um, so, you know, you kind of look at both the goods and bads from both sides. But when I take a step back, it's the Browns should have won this game easier. Like, that's how I felt sitting in the press box is – they controlled it, right? They pretty much – they harassed Baker Mayfield for most of the game. Yes, Baker, you know, had the one touchdown drive in the fourth quarter and then through the long – the 75-yarder, which the Browns busted a coverage. But the Browns really confused and harassed, and I thought dominated Carolina's offense 
And I thought the Browns' run game was good enough. Their kicking game was good enough that it really shouldn't have come down to needing a 58-yarder. But your point yeah. is, your point was that the Browns made enough mistakes on defense to create that situation. And that's what's frustrating. It also shows you why you can't have any letdowns because that margin in this league is so thin. So when, you know, at the end of the first half, they let the tight end, Ian Thomas, just run down the left seam for a 50-yarder to the two-yard line, that can't happen. That's like seven easy points. And then – and those- those are like, the things that they those are the things they need to figure out how to eliminate because we've seen it so much in the past. Correct. We saw it a bunch early last year, right? And uh, you know, we'll we'll talk to Joe Woods, the coordinator later in the week. Denzel Ward said yesterday to get it corrected. It's a miscommunication thing. And obviously it was because from my seat in the press box on that 75 yarder, the Robbie Anderson one that really changed all that momentum in the fourth quarter. I'm watching it and is he's running by Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward's like motioning, like he already knew it was done. Like you could tell he knew something was ma- gone wrong. I thought he was upset, like he wanted an offensive pass interference. Um, but I asked him after the game, he said, no, that's not it. It was a communication thing. And I don't know if he was trying to pass it off to Delpit or I think more likely was that was the signal for we had a coverage and you missed the coverage we were supposed to have, whether it was Grant Delpit or John Johnson the third. Those three guys were all in play over there. But you just can't have that, especially at that point in the game, right? The Browns get a stop there. The game's over. Instead, or they make them drive down, take up four minutes, right? Then it's two minutes left. You might see an onside kick. Like, everything changes. But all of a sudden, it goes from nine points to two points, and there's still six-plus minutes left. Um, all Carolina had to do was get one stop, and they got it, and then they took the lead, right? Um, and then, obviously, they left too much time on the clock. But – the point is you just can't let that happen. And if you want to be this dominant top five defense, it can't be 50 of 53 snaps or whatever it is. I don't know if it's 50 snaps the Browns played on defense or 53. Um, but I would say that they played really well for um, all but three of those snaps. And even really the third one, um, it was 53 snaps. Um, the third one was kind of a fluky play where Baker dropped a snap, McCaffrey picked it up and went for 28 yards. If you take those three plays, the 75, the 50, and the 28 away, the Browns let up like 108 yards total. So there's plenty of reason to be optimistic, and it's a lot easier to do that when you look at it from the lens of a win, right? If the Browns had lost, they'd still be saying the same thing about how they played really good defense, but it wouldn't have mattered because when it came down to it, they would have let up – they did let up 17 points in the fourth quarter, right, which is way too much. So – um, so yeah, it was a crazy game and, you know, we, I can't believe we've gone this far without saying Cade York, the name Cade York <laughs> makes it all worthwhile, right? Makes the 58 yarder. And, you know, when you contrast it to Monday night, the Broncos settle for a 64 yarder and the guy misses it. McManus misses it. Um, and obviously situations were, were a lot different. They let the clock run out. The bronze only had a few seconds left when they, and it was fourth down, right? When they kicked the field goal, um, but the goal was to get to the 40, and they got there, and then the kid was so clutch, yeah. so clutch to win that game in his first in his first NFL game. We'll get back to York, and I also want to get to back to Jacoby Brissett because uh, I want to talk about some things you said about him. But before I forget, I, I do want to say, you know, if we were breaking down the Panthers, you know, I, I would be critical of them for multiple reasons. Number one, 
I understand, you know, playing for the field goal because that's all they needed to win the game and they got the field goal. But imagine if they would have missed the field goal. You know, it's, it's annoying to me as I was watching that. I'm like, you know, if I'm a Panthers fan, get in the end zone, yeah. score a touchdown. They left too much time on the clock. And also you score a touchdown and you force the Browns to then have to score a touchdown instead of a field goal. I, I just didn't like that. And then also when they went on defense, you know, you can't have a roughing the passer like that. That totally bailed the Browns out. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Matt Rule, who's, you know, clearly on the hot seat down there uh, in year three, and I think he went five and 12 in his first, five and 11 and five and 12 in his first two years. Um, he blamed on, it was first down from, I want to say the 11 or the 16, and that where they settled for the field goal. And I think Baker dropped another snap, which he had four fumbles. And a lot of those were yeah. snap issues. Um, and they had to fall on it. I'm trying to, I'm looking at the play-by-play now. Um, but first and 10 from the 14. Fumbled snap. They recovered at the 15. So instead of second and whatever, it's second and 11. And Matt Rule kind of shut it down from there. You know, called an RPO on third down, and they wound up handing it off. So, you know, I, I get that you don't want to turn over there. Um, and he would blame the bad – you know, the pad play on first down for kind of putting them in a tough spot. But you're right. You need a touchdown because a field goal, if the team needs a touchdown and has no timeouts or limited timeouts, everything is different. All you got to do is get like one big play on defense and it's really hard to score. Um, when you only need to get to the 40 and you start at the 25, right, that's 35 yards. That's not a lot in the Browns had a minute plus. So you're 100% right. I think Rule and his offensive staff did a terrible job getting Christian McCaffrey involved. Um, you know, he's the best player, right? And not nearly enough touches. Um, you know, I'm looking up right now. I got it in front of me. Um, he had 10 rushes for 33 yards and 28, you know, they, they call that a border play. So 10 for 33 and then four catches for 24 yards, right? Like that's just, that's not enough touches, 14 touches for the best player on your team who's healthy. So um, and then, yeah, your final point about the roughing the passer, and I know Carolina complained about it, and Rule said he didn't get a good explanation, but the ref talked to a pool reporter. There was contact to the head, and it wasn't – they changed the rule now where, like, if your hand follows through and kind of glances off the quarterback's head, it's not supposed to be a roughing call. To me, this was helmet to helmet, and that's still a roughing call. Yeah, he was getting blocked, but he went over and above, and I thought helmets connected. So I thought it was a legitimate call, but it was a huge play in the in the game and in that drive. Because all of a sudden you're at the 40 yard line and now you only need 20 yards. So, yeah, all those Carolina mistakes were huge. Well, I'll say this about Jacoby Brissett you got to give him credit for this. You know, he didn't lose the game and he managed it pretty well. The time of possession was incredible. Obviously, the Browns running right. game, uh, you know, is the reason for that. But at the end of the drive, he, you know, he made some nice passes and he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't throw a terrible interception at that point in the game that that ruins it for you. I, I mean, you know, granted, listen, he didn't like wow you, but he didn't lose the game and put him in a position to win. Right. Yeah. And that's certainly part of what the Browns like about him and what was attractive to them when they went out and signed him. And I think. The fact that the Browns coaches spent so much time talking about his decision-making is a contrast to how they felt about Baker Mayfield, who made too many mistakes when he was with the Browns quarterback, and he made a big one with the interception Sunday 
that led to the Cleveland's first touchdown. Um, so the coaches love that, right? That's It's so much easier to coach when you trust your quarterback's not going to make the game-breaking mistake. Now, he needs to make he needs to play better. He needs to make more plays. But yes, the fact that he didn't turn out over turn the ball over is big. The fact that he made two big plays, two big throws on that winning drive is big. So yeah, I, I think there's certainly something to be said for that. But you know, he goes 18 for 34, 147, one touchdown, a sack, 74.0 rating. Um, when you play better teams and better quarterbacks, Brissett's going to need to do more than that. But I think right. if you're looking at the optimistic side, it's there were chances there. Like this formula, and it's not a it's not a secret formula. We knew what the formula was going to be. You run the ball a bunch, you get the ball to Chubb and Hunt as much as you can, and then you get your quarterback and your receivers to make a certain amount of plays in the game, and your defense plays great, and your kicker makes all his kicks. Like that's a formula to win. And it's not like the Browns invented this formula, but that's their formula without Deshaun Watson. And I think you saw that that formula can work. Now, where it can go to the next level so you're not just beating the Carolinas of the world and maybe not relying on a 58-yard field goal with eight seconds left is Brissett makes more throws earlier in the game. And they gave him chances, and he missed them. And I'm re-watching the game now, and it was a third and three on their first drive. And Amari Cooper wins on this route. And he beats, I guess, J.C. Horn at corner. And Brissett, instead of zipping it to him as soon as he was – because he was open right away. And he hits him, and it's a first down, and they go down, and they probably score a touchdown. He lost it. So Cooper's trying to get run it down on the sideline. It gives the safety time to get over. And the safety gets there. I think the pass is still a little bit long. And the safety gets there. Like, that's a missed opportunity. The next drive, they had Kareem Hunt in a similar situation on the left side. He beats the linebacker and is open, and Brissett overthrows him. So if you hit those plays, or even one of them, right, your stats get better, you got an early touchdown, you have momentum. Like, those are the kind of plays that if he makes, it takes this offense to a next level. And I think there's, even though he, he didn't make them, there are examples of, okay, this is how the Browns can have some explosive plays to the pass game to balance what they do in the run game. And even that, you know, you could probably include it, and it doesn't go on anybody's stats, but the big pass interference where Cooper gets tackled in the end zone, like, and it set up the one-yard touchdown to Hunt on the next play. That's a well-designed play. They roll right. It's heavy play action. Brissett plants and throws back left, and Cooper's wide open, and the ball hangs in the air, but the defensive back was so out of position that he runs, you know, he tackles Cooper. Um but that's a play where maybe Jacoby's got to throw it on a line. Maybe he's got to set his feet quick or whatever. Um, but that's another play. And it turned into an explosive play just because it doesn't show up in the stats where it's set up a touchdown because you have an explosive play in the pass game when it's a run situation and you can use that heavy play action. So I, I do think there's positives there. Um, but I wanted to ask you this, Chad. I want to talk about this. The, Jacoby Brissett's post-game press count, the news conference, he was yeah. really emotional. What did you think about that? He was. Yeah. What was that from just how crazy the offseason's been and, and everything, you know, from Deshaun Watson on down? Is it just, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity yeah. and, you know, people consider him a backup and he, well, you know, I, you know, is there yeah. more to that? Is it just the emotions of 
hey, you know, there's there's not many starting QBs in the NFL, and you know, he he took advantage of his opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that was it. And I had sat down with him about a week and a half earlier, and he stressed to me how important it was to get this chance to start. And that's why he signed with the Browns, because he knew he'd get a chance to start games. He didn't know how long Deshaun Watson would be suspended, but he knew, the, you know, I mean, he assumed there would be a suspension like all of us did. And that's why he chose to come here. I kind of phrased the question almost in a, hey, this is a tough situation. And he said, no, he goes, I wanted this situation. And it's all about that chance to start. And again, we saw with Geno Smith last night on Monday night, right? Geno Smith gets a chance and takes advantage of it. And it means so much to him because he's later in his career. Jacoby's 29. Um, so, yeah, it was all about what this opportunity meant to him. And he's Jacoby Brissett said that that's why he thinks he played poorly at the beginning. He had a hard time dealing with all those emotions, which is, it to me, really interesting. And it's a really human moment. And I liked hearing him say that. And then I kind of followed up and I said, is that because of the opportunity like we talked about? And he said, yeah. And then he got choked up again. And then there's another follow-up. And he answered the question and kind of left. Like, that was the last question. Um so there were like three times where he got emotional during the news conference. And I really appreciated the humanity of it. Um, now he just needs to figure out a way to deal with it better at the start of games. And I'm sure he will. I mean, he started almost 40 games in the league. So I think week two at home, he'll settle down. But I thought yeah. that was really, I thought it was really interesting. And I, I thought it was a, a nice kind of insight into how he was thinking. Yeah, in in order to beat better teams, he's going to have to do more. That that's for sure. And and I will say, and you know, this can be a criticism of me or us or the media in general. Had that kick not gone in, we'd probably be sitting here saying how he needed to do more, and he maybe let the Browns down because he wasn't able to do more. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. but I guess I guess at the end of the day, my point is that you know, he didn't throw a pick six. He didn't turn over the ball in the wrong spot. Let me ask you this, and I tweeted this. I took a little flat on supporter. I'm trying to be critical or debate here, because, and I don't want to jump into this whole conversation because you and I have done this for over a year, and and it, you know. But the bottom line is this: I I do not like this. I do not slur at the point. But as I was watching the other day, I found ironic, and don't me wrong here because this is just how I viewed it. It was crazy to me that a guy could not to win the game under two minutes for the Browns in his career. Right? He just never could it done. Almost did it. And frankly, he did do it. He drove, he brought his team back and actually took the lead. And it's ironic to me that what. Yeah, Chud, you were breaking up a little bit there, but I get exactly what you're saying. You're talking about Baker and 0-5 last year, right when he had a chance to lead go-ahead drives in the fourth quarter, and then he does it Sunday against the Browns, right? He succeeds. They doesn't get the win, but he succeeds in that moment, in those final minutes, giving his putting his team ahead in the final moments. Um, and I think that's why it would have been such a gut punch to the Browns if they had gone on to lose that game, right? If that Panero field goal winds up being the winner, and Baker gets to ride off and celebrate that win and leading the comeback, which is one of the reasons the Browns gave up on him because he was 0-5 last year, right, with late chances to lead the go-ahead drive, and he couldn't do it, and then he does it in his first chance with Carolina. That would have been devastating for 
the Browns fan base for sure. And I would think a large segment of the Browns organization in the Browns locker room. Um, but yeah, so that, that certainly was interesting. I thought Baker showed the fight, which we knew he had, right? There was never any question yeah. how hard Baker fights. We saw him win. I mean, the fact that he played better in the fourth quarter, I thought was good for him, right? That's like, I thought he took a step and I thought he gave Panthers fans and Panthers organization kind of like the same, the opposite of the Browns. I think he gave them some hope with how he played in the fourth quarter because you wouldn't have had any hope. If you're Carolina watching how Baker played early, you wouldn't have any hope. But to see him fight and see him make a couple plays in the fourth quarter, the scrambling touchdown, the 75-yarder, leads that field goal drive, at least you can go into the rest to week two and say, okay, this guy's got a chance to lead us. Um, But, and I think you were trying to get this, like I said, you're breaking up a little bit, but I think part of your point was he looked a lot of like what we saw from Baker in his four years here, right? Inconsistent, batted passes. Bad interception, struggles to see, right? Has to move, has to get out of the pocket. And the Browns knew how to defend him. And they did a good job, except for, you know, a couple of the plays like we talked about. So yeah, to me, it was, hey, this is Baker. This is who Baker is. This is why the Browns felt Baker wasn't good enough to take them where they want to go. Yeah, I guess my point, and I don't know how I broke up. It was just crazy to me that what he couldn't pull off yeah. For, for the Browns, you know, he, he almost did it against us. And then another guy actually, and granted it, it, it was York's field goal and we didn't have a kicker like that in the past, but, but still it was just ironic to me as I was watching it, that Jacoby Brissett, uh, you know, he doesn't get all the credit for that last drive, but he definitely deserves uh, as the quarterback, a lot of it. And he was able to do it. We just haven't, I, I just, yeah. listen, when, when Carolina made that field goal, Scott, and tell me you weren't thinking, I, I mean, did you think they were going to come down and win the game? I mean, we, we unfortunately have no. seen the script so many times. No, I mean, you didn't because you needed a bunch of stuff to go right. No, I didn't, it wasn't, a, I didn't think there was no chance. Um, right. But when McCaffrey, I think it was a screen pass, McCaffrey goes for what, however many yards, and then John Johnson, the third, gets a horse collar. All of a sudden it's a guaranteed field goal for the Panthers. And it certainly looks like a loss, right? And then the Browns defense gets that stop. Um, they settle for the field goal, whatever. But, yeah, it, that's when it, you said, oh, my gosh, they're really going to lose this game. And yeah. Baker's going to beat them, right? Like, all those things. Like, like the, it's the worst possible scenario. To me, it felt like it was going to be – and the Browns have had a billion things go wrong in openers. But the key one, right, is that Dwayne, H- Dwayne Rudd helmet toss. And, like, that's where my mind flashed back to is you had a win and – it got snatched away, and this would have felt, I think, on that same level because of all the circumstances and because of Baker Mayfield. But I'm glad you brought up Jacoby. Yes, yes Jacoby now is 1-0. Not only is he 1-0, he's 1-for-1 with the chance to lead a game-winning drive, and that's significant. That's how we measure quarterbacks in this league. He got help on the rough and call. He got help with the 50-yard field goal. He still did what he needed to do, and – you can contrast that with other quarterbacks. You can contrast it with Baker from last year. I keep going back to Monday night because it's so fresh. You can contrast it with Russell Wilson. Now, his coach had a lot to do with taking the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, but he didn't get his team far enough to win that game yesterday. So, yeah, I, I think it is important, and I'm going to try I'm going to try to work on an analysis today. We'll see how it comes together. But about Brissett and how he can go forward and how this can be a building block, even with stats that aren't great. And before we leave Brissett, just real quick, Judd, 
Were you worried? I mean, it, Browns fans, I'm sure, were worried. Um, when he had, like, the double-clutch spike before the oh, field goal. yeah. Right? I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm watching it, and, you know, I think I know the rules pretty well, and I was like, I'm not sure you're allowed to do that. And then the flag comes out, and, you know, it's – it's a crazy scene in the press box. Everybody's trying to write their story, and it's it's a win. Is it a loss? You're watching the game. You look at a computer. You're tweeting, whatever. And I'm like, I think they're going to call intentional grounding. And yeah. all this, right? And then that takes it to 68 yard field goal, 10 second runoff because they're trying to close the clock. So you have to run on the field, hurry up and snap it in the final three seconds, and kick a 68 yarder. And as good as Cade York is, that's that's a big ask, right? They might not even gone for. They might have tried to throw a hail mary. Um, we, again, but you have no time. You, you can't spike it because it's fourth down because it's a loss of down. So it would have been a, a rush regardless. I wouldn't have confidence in a Hail Mary or a 68-yard field goal. So it, it probably goes from a win to a loss because the official decided um, that it wasn't – I think it wasn't deliberate, right? Because you've seen quarterbacks fake the spike and then pull it back, and they don't want that to be allowed. Like they can't – you're supposed to just spike it. And Matt Rule right. talked about you have to be within like a yard of the line of scrimmage, and Brissett was drifting back. Now I don't I don't think there was anything nefarious from Brissett. I just think like the ball stuck in his hand or whatever. He, he just double clutched and then he fired it in the ground, and the officials said no, it's not um, a penalty, and they picked it up. But that was another thing that the the Panthers were upset about, and, and I get that. Like I get the flag flew. Right, so there's certainly a question about whether it was um, a call in the official's mind. But here's what the quote from the official was: After discussion, we determined that stepping back does not disqual- disqualify the quarterback from spiking the ball, and we allowed him to do that by rule. Um, but I think there is some gray area there. Uh, area there. So again, it's just that margin of error and how you view everything so differently through the prism of victory or defeat in this league yeah well i understand the stepping back part but doesn't the rule say you can't pump fake like that and then spike it yeah or is I, that I, not mean, the I, read the, I, I read the rule and i don't think it is as descriptive about that i'm not sure it eliminates the pump fact pump fake factor i think there is some intent involved like you can't try to deceive the defense and then spike the ball on the ground. So I, and and this is just my perception is that I think the officials ruled that he wasn't trying to like fake and then see what the defense did. There was just like a mechanical problem. Like he didn't, he just didn't fire the ball on the ground the first time for whatever reason that was. Um, And they kind of let him slide. But obviously the bronze newt was a little funky because Jacoby resented. He didn't know if he did something wrong. Um, and Stefanski said, hey, we're good with whatever the refs called. So it wasn't like, hey, he didn't do anything wrong. You know, that what they didn't have like a great defense for it. It was like, man, we got a little lucky here. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you want to do a little rapid fire before yeah. we talk Jets and yeah. get into the uh, future here? Uh, so keep you keep you honest here because, I mean, we could talk forever on these things. Right. Uh, but uh, number one, rapid fire. Man, it seemed like the D-line just playing volleyball, you know, swatting Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, they got – I counted five um, deflections or tips at the line or near the line. Clowney started it right away on the first play. Baker tried to throw that quick out, and Clowney batted it away. You know, the Browns knew that 
they could do the affect Baker that way. It was fresh in the mind from that game, that Monday night game, his last game in Cleveland. Pittsburgh did the same thing to him. And the Browns did it. And on top of that, Miles Garrett was able to get around that rookie left tackle twice back to back and get two big sacks, including a strip sack. And, you know, it's a good start for Garrett. Um, obviously they, you know, they paid a lot of attention to try to stop him, but he was able to get through more than twice. Yeah, I let you go along because Garrett uh, was the next fun okay. and rapid fire. Uh, I mean, he just I mean, you know those sacks had to feel good, right? Yeah, and did and you he, see the uh did you see the video at the end, Baker and him on the field? Did you see yeah, that? Encounter? Real quick, yeah, real quick kind of yeah. hug. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh Miles Garrett has not been shy about saying that their relationship was strained and he used it as motivation. He didn't like the off-the-leash T-shirt and brought that up after the game. Like, there were some issues there. And it's interesting because he said, hey, I never had a problem with Baker on the field. He was a tough, tough competitor. So it was kind of like an off-the-field. They just didn't really connect, you know, which is interesting. And they were able to put those problems aside for a while. 2020, they led the team to the playoffs. But um, it wasn't going to be a long-term fit with those guys. And I think Miles – Made that clear, and I'm sure it felt great to him to get uh, to get those two sacks and a couple other hits on Baker. Cade York, too early to really know, but, I mean, Scott, is, is this the real deal? I mean, was drafting a kicker the right move? I, I, I mean, yeah. is this just – are we going to continue to see more of this from this guy? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything in training camp the preseason or week one to make me think differently, and a lot of that's about his attitude, Chud. He's just really confident in himself. And that goes a long way. And not every kicker's like that. Kickers have big legs, but they get they get down on themselves. They get shaken. I think it's important to note that he had a bad warm up. Like I was watching, right? Because now that's the thing to do is watch how far the you know, how far Cade York kicks in pregame. And I, he missed four in a row. Like he tried four in a row from fifty plus and missed them. And then he moved shorter so he could make one. And I was like, man, that, like that's a bad sign before the opener, mm -hmm. right? And that's part of the reason – well, I think the Browns had had this plan altogether. Kevin Stefanski said he wanted to, he wanted Cade York to see a ball go through the uprights before he tested him with a long kick, which is why they had a chance to kick a 54-yarder on their first drive, and they went for it. And he said that's exactly why we went for it is because I wanted him to make one first. And that paid off because not only is he a rookie and you want to get his feet wet, he did have a tough warm-up. So – by the time he gets to the 58-yarder to win the game, he'd made two extra points and three other short field goals. And he felt good. He had that in-game confidence built up. So I think that was a good move by Stefanski and special teams coordinator Mike Prefer. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it 50? says it's good about York for being able to move past um, a rough warm-up. Yeah, 58-yard field goal, the longest made by a made field goal by a rookie in their team's first game of the season in NFL history. Yeah. And also think about this. And I don't know if you mentioned this already. I can't remember because there's so many nuggets right now, 58 yards, second longest made field goal in Brown's history. Only Steve Cox. <laughs> I remember that 1984, 60 yards. Right. Um, I remember that, but uh, it's crazy, crazy man to think that, you know, you need the second longest field goal in Brown's history to get that win. Uh, Got to talk about real quick, Kareem Hunt. I, I mean, boy, watching him, it just reminds you, like, what a one-two punch that is and and why it's great to have Kareem Hunt on your team. Yeah, and we saw, we saw Chubb and Hunt together on the field more than we usually do, a lot more 
than we usually do. I counted eight snaps um, all in the first half, starting with the second snap of the game. And I think that just gives defenses one more thing, one more one more really big thing to think about, another worry, another thing to game plan against. And you saw kind of Kareem do some of that pre-snap motion that the Browns used to do with Jarvis Landry. And I think that's interesting. You can throw to him on swing passes if the defense doesn't go with him. If somebody goes is specifically designated to follow Kareem Hunt, you can run Chubb the other way because the defense has shifted to follow Hunt. So there's a lot you can do with it. And it paid off on that one-yard touchdown to Hunt. Chubb was in the game, the touchdown pass. You play fake uh, handoff to Hunt, or I'm sorry, to Chubb up the middle. Hunt's wide open on the edge. So um, I, I liked it. Kevin Stefanski went there. I think there's more to get out of that package of the two of them together on the field. Um, you know, Chubb had a huge game, ran great, jumped over guys. Why Teller said he had a play where he jump cut about 15 times. Um, 22 for 141, 6.4 average, two more rushes over 20 yards. Hunt had 11 for 46 rushing with the touchdown, the long touchdown, 24 yards, and he caught four passes for 24 and a touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, those are your two guys, right? That's where the bulk of your offense came from, and that's no surprise, and I'd expect to keep seeing that. Mm -hmm. Do you see that Steelers-Bengals uh I don't know if you got a chance. I know you were down in Carolina, but uh, right. did, on replay or highlights, man, that was a crazy one, the Steelers and Bengals. I did. I saw I saw the highlights. I mean, craziness, right? You got T.J. Watt. Now they don't think he's going to miss the whole season with that pack, but he'll, he's going to miss week three against the Browns, which is a huge break for the Browns. Um, you saw Joe Burrow rally, but he turned the ball over a ton of times, right? And then you saw the kicking game. Dude, yeah. And it wasn't necessarily the kicker. I like think the Bengals are having long snapper issues. Um, yeah, right. Right, But that led to a blocked extra point that would have been the game winner. So craziness. Um, but, yeah, now, you know, if the Browns, you're talking about, you know, it's obviously it's way down the road, division titles. Um, the Bengals are going to be in the mix, right? The question is, will Pittsburgh be in the mix? But the fact that Pittsburgh won week one and gave Cincinnati a loss, it's huge in mm -hmm. kind of the scope of the division. Anything else before we move on to the Jets? Uh, no, I checked off all my things on my list here, Chuck. Awesome. Hey, hey, we've been doing this together for over 15 <laughs> years. So, I mean, <laughs> right? Good point. Good so, good point. yep. All right. So, right now we're recording this on Tuesday. The Browns are six-point favorite. One o'clock, first home game of the year. You know the fans are going to be jacked up after tailgating, and it's going to be quite the scene down there. Uh, you know, before we do prediction, you want to just, you know, quickly break down the Jets? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, you know, I haven't watched their opener. They lost to the Ravens. I think it was 24 to 9. Um, yep. But, you know, what has to be said is their quarterback is out. Zach Wilson, the number two overall pick a year ago. Um, big arm, big hopes for him. Good athlete. He's not playing. He had knee surgery in the preseason. So it looks like it's going to be Joe Flacco is the starting quarterback, right? He's getting up there, closing in on 40. Browns know him well from all his time in the with the Ravens, won the Super Bowl with the Ravens. The Jets fans are chanting for Mike White, the backup quarterback. We'll see if, you know, Robert Sala, the coach, said Flacco's our quarterback for now. Um, I'd kind of be surprised if they made such a quick switch, but 
Um, so that's huge, right? You don't have your starting quarterback. And they're out. It looks like they're going to be out both their starting tackles. Dwayne Brown didn't play week one. Uh, Makai Becton is out after preseason injury. He's their, you know, their other starter. Uh, he was a top, whatever, top 10 pick the same year Jed Wills was. So, you know, it doesn't, you know, they, they have a couple of receivers, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson um, out of Ohio State, right? Corey Davis is a, is a former top pick. Um, so they have some weapons, but, you know, they got questions on the line and they get questions a quarterback, um, and, you know, and then a defense, they do have Sauce Gardner, the corner that gets a lot of love. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does if he's matched up with Amari Cooper. You know, Cooper only had three catches for 17 yards, did have that big pass interference that he drew. Um, I would think the Browns would make more of a concerted effort to get him the ball, and we'll see if he is matched up against that rookie. But, you know, you can take nobody for granted. And, you know, we saw how they almost the Browns almost lost a game against a team that I thought they should have won in week one. But this certainly sets up as a game the Browns should win. Like you said, they're favored by a touchdown. It's at home. And it, again, they need to they need to pile up these wins early because the schedule is going to get much harder. Um, so this is a game they they can't, you can't say they need to win a week two game. This is a game they should win, and this is a game um, <laughs> they need to win. Yeah, I I don't think that that's a stretch to say they need to win this. I mean, you can't you, you got to win your home opener against a team like the Jets, and like you said, with the with the games they have afterwards and the uncertainty. Uh, you know, with Brissett as your quarterback, uh, I think it's definitely, you know, I, it's not a must win. No. And maybe that's, but, but yeah, you, you shouldn't need, you should need to win this, this game. So let's go with the predictions. I started last week. Uh, I'm 0 and 1. You're 1 and 0. And uh, here we go. You, you, you get to go first. All right. I mean, I, I don't think we can go into many of these games expecting high scoring games, right? Um, I think the, the Browns Panthers got over, got over the over under with all with those late points. But for a long time, it looked like it was going to be, you know, under. I, so I just can't pick a high score. I'm going to go Browns 24-14. I think they, I think Brissett plays a little better. They're still able to run the ball, and the defense cleans up some stuff and really limits um, Joe Flacco and the Jets. And you know, Flacco doesn't move right. He never moved. Now he's older, so he moves less. Um, with the questions of tackle, you know, it could be a big day for Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney. I'm sure the Jets will try to offset that by running the ball and screens and quick game. But if the Browns can get a lead, um, then you then that takes away those other options and you got to drop back and throw the ball. So it could be a big game for uh Clowney and Garrett. So give me 24 14. That is unbelievable. I wrote down my score before we started because last last week, remember, you caught me off guard, and I, I should have been caught off guard. I mean, right, with the, yeah. the season record, I, I was kind of ready for my prediction. I wrote down and circled it on my paper here, 24-14 Browns. We have the exact same score. Well, then everybody <laughs> can know that that won't be the score. So it'll be something besides 24-14. <laughs> Maybe 23-13 instead of uh, three touchdowns field goal. (laughs) I was just going to say that. There'll be a couple extra field goals. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I just – listen, this is a game. You're a better team than the Jets. Uh, You know, and and you mentioned the score against the Ravens. You know, they scored a touchdown late in that game. They they only had three points until the very end. Um, You know, that just – 
I didn't watch much of it. I saw a couple plays here and there, but um, it, it's just it's hard for me to believe that the Jets offense can do enough against the Browns defense. I mean, they'll probably break a big play or something kind of like Carolina did, uh, you, you know, maybe to get in the end zone. Obviously, we both have them getting in the end zone twice uh, with 14, most likely. But, um, yeah, I just I'm going Browns and uh, they start out the year two and oh. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all that. I, I when it, it's weird, you try to get to these scores, right? And I was like 14. I was like, man, do the Browns give up two touchdowns to these guys? And obviously they could, but they could also give up two field goals and a touchdown and a two point conversion, right? Like there's another right, way to right. get there that kind of popped into my head. Like I don't love the just the two scores thing and the two touchdowns. Like the only time they score would be two touchdowns. Like I wasn't crazy comfortable about that, but I thought, no, well, you can get there a different way. Um, yeah, and you know, you said they didn't score until the end against the Ravens. Um, I think it was interesting. Saleh, who the Browns inter- interviewed um, in one of these coaching searches, I don't know if there was a Stefanski search or the Freddie Kitchen search, um, but Saleh was Saleh was a, I don't know if he's a finalist, but he's a he interviewed for sure, um, and he's a likable guy. He's fiery. He said yesterday he told Jets reporters that. He's taking receipts, all the people that have discounted him, all the people discounting the Jets. So, like, there's some fire there, and I'm sure he'll have his guys ready to go. The question is, are they talented enough right now, right? You don't have your quarterback. You don't have your tackles. Um, it, it just feels like, yeah, they got – maybe they got the proper motivation. I'm sure they're a better team than they were a year ago. I'm just not sure week two um, they're ready to make those improvements. So, I think the Browns are catching them at a good time. Yeah. You know, last week I said, hey, this is a game that feels like it could go either way. And yeah. and, and honestly, it, it almost did. So this is this is a game where, you know, I kind of like looking at all the different levels. We both think it will be a 10 point game. Right. That's what we think. Now, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns won 30 to 7 or 30 to 10. That wouldn't shock me. At the same point, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a little bit of a letdown and snuck away with only a three or six point win. Right. Yeah. So the things that would surprise me. A surprise would be the Jets winning, not a shock, but a surprise. The only thing that would shock me would be if the Jets just come in and like run the table and win by a couple touchdowns. That's kind of the way I look at this game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I'd be surprised if the Browns lost. I wouldn't be stunned, right? We've seen them lose plenty of games. It happens in the league. Stuff happens from, yeah. week, one to, from week one to week two. But without having gone, watched that whole Jets game yet, but knowing about the Jets and knowing how week one went for them. Um, it just seems like a good opponent for the Browns. It feels like the Jets are going to have a hard time scoring points and the Browns should be able to cobble enough together. So, Yeah, those those injuries have been bad for them. It definitely has hurt them. But I, I think the Jets' future is, is a lot better, though. I, I think they're, they're going to be a better team at some point. Right, it comes down to the quarterback, right? Yep, and I think yep. they drafted – you know, I think they drafted pretty well. They've had some bad injuries – like we talked about. So it'll be interesting, but yeah, it's a chance for the Browns to go two and oh, which obviously I got to look up the last time they went two and oh, because it, it couldn't have been before 2014 or 2004. And I think they might've lost week two, 2004. So um, I'll have to look that up, but yeah, you start two and oh, you start to feel good about yourself. Then we, we got to quickly turn the page to a Thursday night visit from the Steelers in week three. Right. So that'll be yeah. have to get on that quick. The focus will shift. Um, start talking about that game. And if you get an early division win, um, you know, and the Steelers obviously surprised Cincinnati. So they're capable 
of a lot of things. Even every time people write the Steelers off, um, they come back and show you that that's a stupid thing to do. So, so yeah, so we got yep. some football to play in the next, whatever, 10 games or where, nine days, nine days, seven, eight, nine. So, yeah, we have yeah. a lot of stuff to talk about coming up. Sounds good. We'll do it. Great. Chud, appreciate the time as always. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and you can always read all my stuff at brownszone.com. So this has been another episode of the Zone Coverage Podcast. Thanks, everybody.